Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Well, if you happen to miss last week's teaching, we started a brand new series called Face to Face. And in this series, we are trying to address a common problem in what might strike us as a counterintuitive manner. We are leaning into this universal shared problem that we all have that is this internal longing for deeper intimacy with God. Far too often, what we're told is meant to be a relationship with God feels like anything but a relationship. It often feels like maybe religion and ritual, but it doesn't feel like relationships, specifically the type of relationship that we see play out in the scriptures between the people of scripture and the God who created them. And so then what happens is we end up sort of banging our heads against the proverbial wall, asking the question, man, what do I have to do to get more of God? But what What we're working to get our heads and our hearts around is this, the difference between those who experience uncommon intimacy with God and those who don't is not that God offers more of himself to some than others. The difference is that those who experience uncommon intimacy with God learn to offer the hardest and the most hurt parts of themselves to him. See, Intimacy isn't just found in getting more of God, but giving God more of you. And so this series is all about learning to integrate our emotions, specifically the hard and uncomfortable ones, into our relationship with God. And so this week, I want to teach part one of what is going to be a two-part message on the topic of learning to block the emotions that we are meant to invite God into. And so to that end, let's talk about blocking for a second. Now, I don't know about you, but sports was a major part of my early life. I loved being on a team and I loved competing. So I played basketball and football and soccer and track. And to be honest, I I, I actually don't think I cared what the sport was so long as there was winners and losers and I got to compete. And despite my love for all sports, football was the one where Uh, Finally, I feel like my aggression and my intensity helped me rather than hurt me. And so I I went to this super small uh, Christian high school in Rapid City, South Dakota, and somehow every year we managed to scrape together a team, but uh, there were so few of us, every single player had to play both ways. You had to play multiple positions. No one had just one specialized opinion or position. You played offense, defense, special teams. You had a position every time the ball was on the field. And despite this, the, one, the position I excelled the most at was running back. And so again, we didn't have a deep roster, but I was fortunate to play with an excellent fullback. Now, if you don't know football, uh, the fullback tends to be the larger and the stronger of what is often the two running backs who line up behind the quarterback and receive handoffs. Now, when you see them lined up vertically, 
uh, behind the quarterback. The fullback is usually the one in front. He's often like this bulldozer who blasts through the line first in hopes of landing a big block that can then make way for the smaller, faster running, block, block, uh, running back to squeeze through and hopefully gain yards. Now, our fullback's name was Jeremy Smith. And I'm not joking, this kid was like the size of a small truck. And he had good hands and he had even better feet. And so Jeremy could run and he could catch, but my favorite thing about him was his ability to block. I felt such great security running behind this beast of a kid and watching him turn linebackers upside down with some of the most punishing blocks I've ever seen. He was like this one-man stampede and God help anyone who got in his way. Now, I know that sports metaphors tend to be lost on like 50% of the population. And so here's why I bring this up. Uh, Most sports don't work without some measure of blocking. I mean, think about it. In in almost every sport, you have the defense that tries to block a score, and then you have the offense who has to block in order to get one. And so blocking is essential. But you know, the truth is blocking is not just a part of sports. As we grow up, And as we experience life, most of us learn various ways to build barriers that block our emotions that we find difficult, disruptive, or overwhelming to experience. And while these behaviors can be essential in certain seasons of life, in the long run, they have a tendency to stunt our growth with God and with other people. And so that means we need to understand both why and how we learn to build these barriers so that we can take the steps necessary to get past them and grow in intimacy, specifically the intimacy with God that we all ache for. But before we wade into both why and how we build these barriers, it's worth noting that oftentimes we build them without even knowing it. And so let me just say that broadly speaking, our emotional blocking falls into one of two categories. There is intentional and unintentional blocking. Now, the difference between these two is our own awareness that we're doing it. And so by that, I mean, if we are fully aware that we are avoiding particular emotions in our lives, then our blocking is intentional. But if we are unaware that we are avoiding feeling certain things, then we have unintentionally blocked them. And so let me break down just a few of the key contributing factors between both of these. And so let's start with intentional blocking. Maybe you'll find yourself in some of this. Sometimes we make a conscious decision to not face or to feel particular emotions. And so this decision is primarily supported by the belief that identifying, feeling, or expressing an emotion would be unhelpful for some reason. For instance, uh, expressing emotion like sadness can make us feel very vulnerable or exposed, triggering a feeling inside of us of being in danger as if there's some sort of threat in doing that. And so we learn to block that emotion as a means of self-protection. Or or maybe we fear that opening up particular emotional areas in our lives will actually cause us to like fall down into an even deeper hole, one that maybe we won't come out of, putting us in a worse place than where we started. And if you think about it, like waiting, if 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 wading into this other 
uh, place puts us in a worse position than we started, then logically it would seem it's wiser to avoid that altogether. And this is one fear that I constantly wrestled with in the early days of my own journey toward the pursuit of more emotional health. I was just afraid like, man, if I open this door and I go into all this, I'm never going to come out. But another reason that we learn to intentionally block our emotions is that we also so normalize psychological distress as a culture. Think about it. We are chronically and increasingly overwhelmed by the pace of our lives, and we are driven by achievement. And so as a result, our response to the stress that we experience, which comes out oftentimes as things like anxiety and depression and distress, those things that we expect stress that we experience, it comes to feel so normal for us that it almost seems like it's not even worth acknowledging it. But the problem is, We are not animals in the wild at risk of physical danger if we show weakness. And so regardless of what is culturally normative, living in a constant state of stress is slowly destroying us. Countless people, myself included, have taken the courageous step to face the pain of the past and have come out the other side healthier and happier. But the big question is, What if we're not even aware, what if we're not aware that we've learned this blocking behavior and that is what would lead to unintentional blocking? Sometimes we develop behaviors that block our emotions unconsciously, meaning we do it and we're not even aware of the fact that we're doing it. So for instance, if you maybe grew up in an environment where the importance of expressing emotions for both psychological and spiritual health was not taught or modeled, the very concept of it might be foreign for you. Furthermore, I know that especially men in our culture are conditioned that expressing emotion can be a sign uh, uh, or a symptom of weakness, which is absolutely not true. But as a result, Many men tend to stuff their emotions. It's not exclusive to men, but it's very, very common among us. And so as a result, we may have unintentionally learned to simply block particular emotions. So as you can see, there is a lot to all this. And the problem of blocking our emotions is not simple, and neither is the solution. And so regardless of whether these blocking behaviors are conscious or unconscious, the effect is the same. They diminish our own self-awareness and our ability to grow in intimacy with God and with other people. And so it is worth stating that humans are exceptionally complex. The longer I pastor, the more people I have the privilege of getting to know, the more I learn there is no one reason why all people do anything. People are motivated by comfort, approval, significance, and a host of other fires burning within them. And and some of these things are very, very good, but some can be destructive. And this is also true in our attempts to build barriers to block our emotions. It would be so much simpler and neater if there was just one reason that we adopt these behaviors, but alas, you and I are far more complicated than that. And so while it might not be the easiest work, we will find it most useful in addressing problems when we understand the motives behind them. And so this week, I want to highlight three basic reasons why 
we learn to build barriers that block our emotions, okay? So this week, we're gonna focus on the why. Next week, we'll turn our attention to the specifics of how we actually go about doing that, okay? So this week, we're on the why. Let's jump into three reasons why we learn to block, all right? So if you're taking notes, maybe grab something to write on, something to write with, make a note of this. Number one, we block for comfort. We block for comfort, Please, please, please do not ever doubt our collective commitment to our own comfort. I mean, just think about the incredible lengths that we are willing to go to in order to feel good and to avoid anything that disrupts our personal comfort. Man, this is true in our social lives. It's true in our emotional and our mental lives. And it's absolutely true in our physical lives. For example, the older I get, the more I care about comfort over fashion in the clothes that I wear, right? Like I'm just transitioning into full-blown middle-aged dad mode. I barely care about the fashion piece, how something looks. I just want it to be comfortable. If it's not comfortable, I'm not wearing it regardless of how cool it may look. For instance, I've decided I'm done wearing tight clothes, okay? Like skinny jeans, they might still be in style, but no one wants to see my middle-aged dad bods shoved into a pair of jeans looking like a, a, a sausage shoved into its casing, okay? Nobody needs that. But you know what? The truth is even more important than what other people think. I just don't want to be squeezed anymore. I am like full-blown over it. And so I am so committed to my own comfort that I made you mere days away from embracing full-blown, those ill-fitting but oh-so-comfortable dad jeans that we've all seen, right? And probably even like an, uh, an ugly pair of those white Nikes that I'm pretty sure you can only get on clearance at TJ Mask, Ma uh, Max. Just like I'm full-blown, middle-aged dad boat. I want to be comfortable. My point is, like you, I am deeply committed to my own comfort. You and I, naturally gravitate toward what makes and keeps us comfortable. And we will often do whatever it takes to avoid anything that disrupts, that disrupts that comfort. And this is certainly one reason that we build these barriers to block our emotions that we deem uncomfortable. It simply doesn't feel good to experience difficult emotions like sadness and anger. And so we find ways to block them, thus shielding ourselves from the discomfort of feeling them. But here's the thing. Just because an emotion is uncomfortable does not mean it is unhelpful. Okay? Just because an emotion is uncomfortable does not mean it is unhelpful. We see this played out on screen in the Pixar movie Inside Out. If you don't have kids, maybe you haven't watched it, but you really should. It is seriously like a masterclass on the important role that all of our emotions play in life. Now, the story centers around a young girl named Riley. She is an upbeat, optimistic, and generally happy 11-year-old girl with a life that she loves. Now, the conflict comes into the story when her life is turned upside down by an unexpected move with her parents from Minnesota to San Francisco. Suddenly, everything that she has known and everything that she's loved is lost, causing this deep internal conflict that's common when any of us experience loss in life. 
And while the story is about this character, Riley, the majority of the movie is seen through the eyes of her emotions, joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust. They all work inside of her to help her navigate this difficult transition. And it's interesting to watch as Joy, in particular, experiences the bulk of the difficulty. See, for the first time in Riley's life, Joy has to take a backseat to sadness. And unwilling to concede, Joy immediately goes into damage control, trying everything she can to keep sadness relegated to the background so that Riley can be happy again. And so together with Joy, we get a front row seat for the lesson that healing and having the full human experience demand that we feel the full range of emotions, even those that are not comfortable. And, and I don't want you to think that this is just like some sort of endless psycho babble. The reason that we experience the full range of emotions is because we were created in the image of a God who feels the full range of emotions, and not just the emotions that we deem comfortable. Again, so much of Christian in, in instruction has been deficient on the subject of emotion. And so I want to continue in my own life and continue to encourage you in your life to look for emotion in the Bible because it's everywhere. As we read the scriptures in search of what our God is like, we quickly learn about his emotional side. Now, if you missed, again, last week's teaching, go back and listen because I gave a list of examples. But here's what I really want you to understand this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 report this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. All right, now, at least one of the implications of being created in God's image is that we feel and we display the same array of emotions that he does. Now, he, he, he does... <clears throat> because now because God is holy and perfect and only ever does and feels what is right, there is something inherently good in all emotions, okay? They're not bad. Now, our, our imperfect human nature may hijack them for our harm and the harm of others, but that doesn't mean that the emotions themselves are therefore unhelpful just because, again, they are uncomfortable. And so as such, we have to learn experience their full range. Now, here's a second reason that we block. Make a note of this. Number two, we block to function. We block to function. Now, I never cease to be amazed at how the smallest amount of physical pain can consume my every waking thought. Um, by God's grace, I've not experienced a ton of severe injuries in my life. Like I've broken fingers and torn a ligament and had plenty of muscle strains, but nothing that, that has ever truly incapacitated me. But even still, these smaller injuries that have occurred, uh, when they occur, they're like the only thing I can think about and the only thing I can focus on. For instance, a couple of months ago, uh, I found out that I have a couple of small tears in my left Achilles tendon. 
And so I can walk around with very little pain, but if I try to run or jump too much, it feels like someone is taking a blowtorch to my heel. And in addition to that, I feel like I'm 100 years old every time I stand up and walk after sitting for a while. Now, all that to say, if I had to give the pain a number, you know how you have to do that if you're in the hospital or hospital or a doctor asks you to rate your, your pain on a scale of one to 10. So if I had to do that, it's probably only like maybe a three out of 10 at any given point throughout the day. Yet despite the low grade nature of this pain, I probably think about it or feel it at least a hundred times a day. And in the same way, emotional pain can consume us to the degree that we lose the ability to function. Now, I know for a fact that some of you struggle with such debilitating depression and anxiety that you have entire days sometimes where you literally cannot drag yourself out of bed. If you've experienced deep loss, like that of a loved one, or or, or you know someone who has, you're probably familiar with that vacant look that someone can have in their eyes when they are consumed by overwhelming grief. Or maybe you're familiar with the term blind rage. It speaks of an anger that's so consuming that a person not only loses their ability to think rationally, but you know they can also experience tunnel vision and literally lose the ability to hear clearly as well. And so in these most extreme situations, the emotions that we feel are so overpowering in our lives that they steal the ability to function normally. And so apart from immense amounts of work and care, we will tend to build barriers that block us from feeling, dwelling on, and processing these difficult emotions that we experience as a result of being created in the image of a God who feels them. So it's not just a desire to feel better. It's not just the desire for more comfort in life. Sometimes it's motivated, again, consciously or unconsciously, by our need to be able to function. We have families to raise, we have jobs to perform, and we have ministry to do. We can't afford to be incapacitated by our pain. We have to be able to function. But oftentimes, rather than process that pain in a healthy manner, we just block it out. And the problem is pain does not go away just because we choose not to face it. It's always there inside of us. And in fact, it's building like water behind a dam. And more likely than not, a day will come when the dam breaks and all that sadness and all that anger and all that shame is going to begin to leak out. And so even if we have learned to function at a high level, it does not necessarily mean we are fully stewarding our inner lives, which brings us to our next point. Number three, we block to survive. We block to survive. Now, in certain seasons of our lives, especially when we are children, this emotional blocking can actually be very, very necessary. It's a coping, even a survival mechanism. When we feel emotions that we don't have the cognition to process in a healthy manner, we have to learn to block them in some way, or we just like simply won't make it. Like many of you, I grew up in a home that at times could be very emotionally volatile. And that's not super surprising when you consider our story. Our story involved divorce, remarriage, a blended family, my grandfather's suicide, and the presence of ongoing mental illness. 
And so as a child, this was all very confusing for me. And so I, I learned to survive by building my own barriers to, to block the disruptive emotions that this volatility caused inside of me. I slowly learned to sever myself from the need for emotional support from others in general. I also learned to take on far too much responsibility for the emotions of those around me in the attempt to create peace in my own life. And again, I was like five years old, six, seven years old. I did not consciously do any of this, but unconsciously I knew that I was not going to survive if I allowed myself to continue living inside of this emotional pinball machine. Now, the good news is these barriers helped me survive my traumatic and unpredictable early years. But the bad news is they also severely limited my ability to feel safe and loved by God and others. Now, you too may have walked through a season of life that necessitated blocking certain feelings. But the key and much neglected word in that last sentence is the word season. Survival may demand blocking for a season, but long-term health requires working past it, working through it. You can't be a healthy person who experiences flourishing with God and flourishing with others if there are entire parts of the emotional spectrum that you do not feel. Remember, I'm contending that our personal health and more specifically our intimacy with God demands that we learn to face rather than block these experiences and the emotions that go with them. But you know, I also think it's worth mentioning, noting again, what a necessary gift from God this ability to block in fact is. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one says, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. See, the reality is in certain seasons of life, the conditions are not right for us to work through these barriers. We may not be aware enough. We might lack the maturity or life may simply be too overwhelming for us to wade into certain things that we have experienced and feel as a result. And so that makes these barriers essential to our ability to function and even survive. But just as an aside, if, if you're beginning to maybe recognize a tendency in your life to block certain emotions, I want you to know it is not productive for you to carry shame about the fact that you're doing that or that you've done that. It doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that you're bad. It actually means that God has helped you to survive some truly difficult experiences in your life. Each of these reasons for building emotional barriers whether it's about comfort, functioning, or even surviving. At their core, they all have the same common belief. The belief that for some reason, it is better not to feel the full range of emotions. And while that might make us more comfortable, and that might help us continue to function in a limited way, and again, for seasons, it might be essential for our survival, it is also a surefire way to limit intimacy in our relations, in our relationships, most notably in our relationship with God. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus tells us that he came so that we could experience the fullness of life that we were created for. And the truth is answering that invitation requires ordering our emotions rightly. 
And so here's what I know. A growing number of people in our culture and a growing number of people in our own church are all showing signs of emotional exhaustion due to the unbelievable range of stressful circumstances that we're all facing. And so because of this, some of us might be listening to all this and be prone to think, you know what, like now just is not the time for this. I'm too worn out. I don't have the energy to wade into all this right now. And so I just, I'm I'm not going to face this right now. And I just want you to know, I get that. And to be honest, I feel that. I'm having a fight so hard right now to not just bury my head in anything that will distract me from what we're all walking through. But what if, what if despite our exhaustion, maybe even due to our emotional exhaustion, we have a unique opportunity to grow deeper in God? What if? I very much believe that in every season, in every situation, and in every circumstance, God is always doing about a million things at once, right? It's never just what we see. And because of that, you have to think that one thing that God is doing in this draining season is he is bringing us to the end of ourselves so that we can experience his presence and his strength in a fresh way. And I am coming more and more to the end of myself like you. In fact, I I wanted to read you part of a prayer that I wrote just a few days ago that illustrates this. I prayed this, Lord, maybe now more than ever, I've come to the end of my own strength. And I know in my heart, this is a good thing. I'm poised to experience your presence in a fresh and renewing way, but it feels awful. I used to ask you to be big in me. I used to ask you to be big through me. Now I just need you to be big despite me. I have nothing left to offer. Just this weary and worn out version of myself. Would you please work despite me, Lord? And so I don't know what kind of prayers you're praying right now, but that's what mine sound like. And I bring that up so that we would just continue to see, I understand that doesn't sound pretty. And it doesn't exactly sound full of faith in the way that so many of us think about it. But, you know, I would argue it actually demands profound faith to walk in full honesty with God. It demands that we trust him enough to open ourselves to him. And so the truth is it would be easier and certainly more comfortable to just block out so much of what I'm feeling right now. But the truth is, I just can't live isolated from a real experience of God's presence with me anymore. I just can't do it. And so that means giving myself fully to God. The good, the bad, the embarrassing, the ugly, all of it. I've got to give all of myself to God. Now we still have a long way to go in this journey together, but the good news is we just, we don't need to go quickly. We can take our time, we can go step by step, and we can go slowly together. And so I want to invite you again this week to just try praying more honest prayers. Just disclose to God what you're feeling, what you're going for, what you're going through. And if you sit down to pray or to journal and you're like, Lord, I I don't even know what to say, start there. Tell him that. I had one week this week where I was praying like, Lord, I don't even know what to say today. Start there. God wants to meet you where you are. So rather than block everything out, let's take even one small step 
toward facing and inviting God into whatever we're feeling. Next week, we're gonna talk about specific ways that we do this work of blocking, but I think we've covered enough ground for this week. And so let me pray and ask that God would help us in our time of need. Will you bow your head with me? Father, I do thank you that you are compassionate, patient, loving, and kind. I thank you that you don't demand or need perfection from us. You don't want performance from us. You just want who we actually are. You want to meet us where we actually are. You know everything that we have experienced. You know everything we are currently facing. You know our past, present. You even know our future. And your singular desire is to engage with us in the midst of us and transform us. And so, Lord, I just pray that this week you would help us to live honestly with you. That we wouldn't ignore what we're feeling. That we wouldn't ignore what we are experiencing. But that we would ask that you would meet with us in the midst of it. And I pray that in this, Lord, as we take one step at a time in this journey together, that more and more we would experience life with you as a relationship rather than religion and ritual. Help us to be patient. Help us to be kind to ourselves because you are patient and kind to us. And we just simply ask, Lord, that you would help us to grow deeper in you. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us for the Sunday stream. We will be back here uh, next Sunday on YouTube to continue the face by, or face-to-face series. Uh, don't forget, if you are feeling isolated, isolated or alone, you need prayer, encouragement, you want to connect, I would love a chance to be able to, to, to get together with you. So email me, schedule some time uh, on the Church Center app. But until next week, I love you, and I hope you have a great week.